You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome back to The Devoted Podcast. I'm so glad you guys are here and listening in from wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I always love all the ways I hear that gals are listening to the Devoted Podcast. I met a sweet gal at church the other day, Sally and Abby, I believe was her name. And they were telling me, I think it was Sally says that she listens to the podcast while she puzzles. And being a puzzler myself, I knew exactly what she was meaning. Maybe some of you are like, why would people, do people still do like old school jigsaw puzzles? Well, we do. We do. I find it so relaxing. So I was absolutely relating to what Sally was saying, because I will do that. I will listen to a maybe a really long podcast series that I've been listening to or a YouTube thing and do my puzzle. So I don't know, I usually end up with a very messed up crooked neck by the time I've done and sat there way too long. But I find it so relaxing. So I was kind of with her. So maybe some of you guys are doing that. Maybe you're doing a puzzle and listening to the podcast. Probably more often, I think, We are usually driving or doing all the other things, but I love this medium, right? I don't know why that sitting in my closet somehow, I know you're not here, and yet I always just feel like I get to chat with you gals. And then on the sporadic times where one of you guys comes up to me at church and I get to put a face to the person that I'm talking to my closet in. I just love it. And I don't know, it's been funny this season of the podcast in some ways, because I've always said I just don't ever, ever, ever want to record a podcast to just check a box and get an episode out that week. Like, I mean, gals for real, I would rather not put anything out. If I just truly felt like there was nothing that the Lord was laying on my heart, that there was nothing that he had for me to do then I'd rather miss the schedule. And even though they'll say, oh, that's terrible for you to do because, you know, people will get out of the habit. I don't really care about that. Not saying I don't want people to listen. Of course, that's what we are doing this for so that you guys can tune into this and be focused back to the word and the things that the word tells us to do in the midst of this this crazy, crazy world. So I'm, I'm thrilled for that. But I never want to do it from a place of just making sure we get something out there. That's a waste of y'all's time. And that's not what we're about. But as I've been thinking about the podcast even recently, it's been a little sporadic in that I've been trying to, here and there, put in these episodes on what it looks like to really be a Christian. What does it mean for us gals to call ourselves a Christian. So we started a couple weeks back this cultural Christian series, and I did two of them back to back where I did like the cultural Christian and then what kind of Christian are you and, and was trying to lay a framework for this idea of really kind of nailing down what the Bible says to us about being a Christian. Because truly, we always need to go back to the source. We need to go back to Scripture to see how that was defined, because we really have gotten pretty far away from it. And so I've just been making some broad observations, I suppose. Some of these are not new. Other people have made these observations. I usually call them by dumb things, I think. Today, I want to talk about the I just feel Christian. (laughs) And no, that title does not roll off the tongue. And you're like, okay, I don't even know what that means. Okay, well, we'll define that in just a second. But I I do think there's all these different types, perhaps we could say, of how the Christian, dare I say brand, I hate to put it that way, but we understand that in cultural terms, how it's been distorted and it's been changed. And we want to ditch all of that altogether. We're not a brand of Christian. We're Christians. We are Christ followers. We're people that want to imitate who Jesus was. What did he do? 
So it's really important for us to describe ourselves biblically as Christians, as someone who knows Jesus and makes him known. And when we look at culture, we have to decide, is the message, are the things that they're saying, the world is saying, that culture is saying, of what a Christian is, does it actually pass what the Bible says a Christian is? Are they watering down who Jesus is, that Jesus is fully man, fully God? Are, are they detracting from that? Are they going, like we talked about in the first and second one about Ephesians 2 and going the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the era, are they kind of going more that way? We can be really good at elevating our modern understanding of what we think, these are all things, words out of our brains, what we think over what God's word says. I hope that we as gals will just sharpen our minds and become really discerning to capture those thoughts. You know, Scripture tells us to take every thought captive unto the obedience of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what we do. And that's a full-time job to take our thoughts captive, take the messages that the world is sending our way and put them down, lay them down and make them obedient to what Christ says, not what the world is saying, not even what your own brain and all the great ideas that we think we come up with, what it's saying. No, we want to be obedient unto Christ. And I know that sometimes that this whole, you know, all these episodes, we're going to talk about this with the cultural Christian thing. It's partially because I think that there is a tendency that we want to be a little timid. We want to be a little shy and we don't want to appear like the crazy Christian. Please, not those people that just think in black and white and right and wrong. And we really don't want to be that kind of Christian. But unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, gals, I think that's the kind of Christian that we really need to be. Because when we talk about being the black and white Christian, maybe we're not meaning to be, we certainly don't want to be the truth without the grace, the truth without the love piece. We always, always, always need the love. But when I think of being a black and white Christian, I think of being the black and white Christian, the one that actually knows what the words of scripture say. Know what's in the black and white right there. And be able to really take every thought all of the messages that we hear from culture, from our neighbor down the street, from our sister that lives across the country, and the messages and the things that they have to say to us about what it means to be a Christian today and take that captive and then take it back to the source. So the one I wanted to start with on this as, as a type, if we will, of Christian is, like I said, it's just the I just feel Christian, the feelings. I think that this one could be maybe the most pervasive for us as women, because we are more feeling emotions type people, right? I mean, stereotypically speaking, yes, but gals, we've got all the emotions. We have all of the things that we feel things about. And in many, many ways, those are wonderful things because it's how the Lord created us to be, to be creatures that nurture and to be women that want to care for others. We just have a little bit more of that sensitive spirit about us that can make us more emotional. So I'm not, I don't want to tell us that we need to just be like these automatons that just don't have any emotion about things and we're just so rigid and that kind of stuff. We are emotional creatures. We're emotional beings that the Lord made this way. And I think that's a great thing. But we want to, like we said from the Second Corinthians 10, we want to take the thoughts, we want to take the things that occur in our own little brains, our imaginations, all of that, 
and make it obedient unto Christ. So when we come to the Lord when or we come to people with feelings, we need to make sure those feelings are in step with what Scripture is telling us and we're not out of step with what he has. So what I mean by the I just feel Christian is these are the gals that they'll be presented with a typical argument perhaps or maybe something that is in Scripture and they will be the ones that when they hear something that is hard maybe culturally to hear, then they'll just say, I just feel like Jesus wouldn't do that. I just feel like that's not what the Bible's saying. I just feel like that isn't what was intended here. I just feel like that's not culturally relevant today. And then you got you just got that four-letter word right there, feel, that can really get us in all kinds of trouble if it is out of step, if it is being disobedient to the words of Christ. That's what we're aiming for, right? To be someone who follows after Christ, to be someone who calls themselves a Christian, then we want to be imitators of Christ and we want to follow and do what his words say to do. So that has to be what is preeminent to us. The feelings, the what we just think or feel about that situation needs to come a very distant second, right? Needs to be obedient unto Christ. So I want to give you some examples because I'm, I'm sure... You guys could give me others because you've probably come up with, come across people that, you know, might be challenging you on things. And maybe you've had that tendency because you don't want to really rock the boat, that you don't want them to think that you're some crazy Christian, right? So you'll just say, well, I just feel, and there's that hesitation. There's that timidity there of, let's just take a step back. I just feel, but we need to think about what his word says. So some of these arguments, it's usually when it's the harder scriptures, when we look at Romans, Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse." Now, there's a couple things I wanted to include that longer passage, the verse 18 and the beginning part of that, you know, talking about the wrath of God that's revealed. It talks about ungodliness. It talks about unrighteousness of men. Those are not the fluffy scriptures, right? We we like, mm, can we just skip over to, you know, some John 316 or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's just camp out there. But there's a danger there. So this is what I'm meaning about the I just feel Christian, particularly they're going to want to leave out that wrath and that ungodliness stuff. Let's just let's just not talk about that too much. But particularly that last part, when you get to verse 20, and when it talks about the invisible attributes, it's talking about the things that we know that God exists. And it says that God is plain to them. Okay, I don't know how you can say that to be more clear. There is no nuance to that. It is just saying that God is clear. God is plain because he's shown it. And then he says, how did he show it? He showed it through his creation. He shows it through his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature. And he says it's clearly, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. It's very, very clear what he's saying there. Now, this is a thing, though. And Paul, the author here, is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they're without excuse. So that means anybody and everyone is without excuse that God exists. There's just no excuse for it. Now, this is where the I just feel Christian wants to go, well, I don't know. What about the people that live in like deep, deep forest, some pygmy culture or something? 
can pygmies live in forests? I don't know. Clearly, I don't know my geography very well. But you know what I'm saying? Like cultures that are way, way, way far out of technology. We have no way of reaching them. They've never heard the gospel. They've never seen a Bible. How could they possibly be without excuse? And so the I just feel Christian will want to push back against this and say, well, I just feel that those people wouldn't possibly be held to the same standard. That's the I just feel Christian, but that's not what scripture says, because scripture says even that person is without excuse. I also feel like in this day and age, that excuse should be becoming even less and less of something even that our vain imaginations could come up with. Because, I mean, truly, with technology and the age of cell phones and all the things that we have these days, there I don't know that there is a place that the gospel is not reached. I believe we live in that day and in that time where the capabilities for the gospel to be spoken is everywhere now. But even if that were not the case, even if this was 100 years ago, this would just be as true then as it is today, that we are without excuse. But that's a passage. That's one of those harder scriptures that the I just feel Christian might want to go, well, I don't know about that. Or how about in Ephesians 2? We already talked about this one a little bit in the last couple cultural Christian episodes that we did. And I referenced it at the beginning of this. But, you know, Ephesians 2, that was the beginning of that passage is where it talks about that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Hmm, that's nice. And then it goes on and says, and you once walked in these, you were following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And this is, again, all of this not very uplifting, right? It's telling you that you've walked as a son of disobedience, following the prince of power of the air, that would be Satan, okay? This is not good keeping good company. Among whom we all once lived, he continues in verse three, and he says, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Again, this is where I, the black and white, the no nuance of scripture, I love, because it's just not confusing here. I mean, He's not leaving anybody out here. He says the rest of all mankind, we've all were dead in our trespasses, every single one of us. And then this is one of those where we kind of push back on that sometimes because we're like, ew, you know, do we really want to identify ourselves as children of wrath? Now, maybe if you have a right attitude of your own sin and of your own disposition, you can go, yeah, okay, I can recognize that. But then we try to put that like on maybe our sweet little three-year-old. Okay, maybe if you've had a rough day with your three-year-old, maybe this won't be as hard for you to imagine. But that idea that we would want to put on someone else that you too actually are a children, you're of wrath, you're a child of wrath, and that feels uncomfortable to us. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. I just feel like we shouldn't call people children of wrath. That seems so harsh. And we like to say that maybe we're just, just really not that bad. And this is where it is such an insidious little lie out there about the, you know, the all being basically good. And and even people that might say they don't think that, sometimes if you drill down on why they act certain ways towards other people or maybe in their response to how they think people should treat them, it is kind of at the base of it a lot of times of like, okay. We're all basically just trying to do our best and we're all basically good and all of that kind of stuff. And that's fine if you're trying to see the the best in your neighbor's intentions or something. But when you start to talk about your actual eternal soul and whether or not we're sinners or not, you have to go absolutely opposite of God's word to believe that we're basically good, right? Romans, it tells us the wages of sin is death. 
Again, another one of those pick-me-up passages that the I just feel Christian's not going to love. Also, the all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's very, very clear. doesn't leave anybody out. All have sinned. And that means you, and that means me, and that means our kids, and our spouse, and our neighbors, and the our kids' teachers, and all. All have sinned and all fallen, fallen short. So these are the clarity things that I love in Scripture so much, but they're also usually the ones that the I just feel Christians kind of don't love very much because they do feel very black and white and they and they don't like that. But this can take ratchet up even another notch, I think, when you get to passages like John 14, 6, where Jesus says, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, how is that a hard scripture? That's about Jesus, and that's all so good. But this is all good until your friend says something like, well, it's just my truth that, dot, dot, dot. Or I just feel like we'll all go to heaven, really, when we die. Or I just feel like God wouldn't do that. Or, But if that is what the I just feel Christian is saying, it's against what the Bible's saying. That's when this whole idea of being the I just feel Christian can take a very serious turn because eternally it's life and death, right? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's huge. We have to, as a Christian, a real Christian that is a biblical Christian that wants to imitate who Jesus is, we have to listen to what his words are saying. And he says he is the only way. That is not a popular message. And the thing is, is that when I was growing up, that was not a very popular message amongst non-believers, of course, because they didn't really believe in Jesus. And so you didn't really fault them for it because they weren't saved, right? But what's been amazing to me, especially in the last five years, perhaps it's been going on, I'm sure it has been going on longer than that, but my, maybe my awareness has just been more attuned to it in the last several years. But I have been shocked how many Christians push back against that. And I've even heard the things repeated that would about, well, that just seems so harsh. I mean, do we have to take it that seriously? That seems so harsh. That's not really what Jesus is saying. I'm telling you, that is what Jesus is saying. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot read around that. There's, again, no nuance to that. Jesus is saying that you must believe in him to be saved. The end. And he says those exact words even later in John 2, right? So that's the salvation, critically, eternally important one of believing that, that the I just feel Christian, they may call themselves a Christian. They may use that word, but I'm thinking the word means something different than what we are seeing it to mean, biblically speaking. Other reasons that the I just feel Christian really struggles. I used to work with someone who, he was an older gentleman, and he said he just couldn't believe in God because of the Canaanite conquest. The Old Testament stories, you know, all the blood and gut stories from, from the Old Testament that he just couldn't reconcile that. He's like, I, uh-uh, I can't do it. He said, how could a God of love destroy all those people? And this is a, I mean, the Old Testament stories, the Canaanite conquest, all that whole part of history in the Old Testament. It's a whole episode and books have been written and all kinds of things. If that's one that you've struggled with, I will say there's a couple. I listened to a podcast. Oh, goodness. It's probably been a little over a year. I'll, I'll try to find the link for you. 
it was an Elisa Childers episode that she did with Clay Jones, who's written some books on the problem of evil and things like that. But he, they did a podcast together called Why Did God Command the Canaanite Conquest? And it was really an interesting perspective that provided some historical context, which is valuable, but also just our whole understanding of the evil truly that existed within that culture. And so it it does give you a bigger understanding, but it's our limited understanding of God who to be love must be at the same time just and must be wrath even. This is what we don't understand. We say that God is love because scripture tells us that God is love, but it's our brain that kind of short circuits and says, well, if God is love, then how could he have destroyed the Canaanites? How is that love? But see, this that was such a corrupt and wicked, wicked people that was dying, dying of their sin. And in order for God to be love, he has to at the same time be just. And that is even where you see the wrath of God. Those things don't exist in different areas. They're not on one side of a pendulum or another. They're all part of who God is all at the same time. He doesn't put on a wrath hat. He doesn't put on a love hat and then take his other one off. He is all of those things at one time. But for us, and especially for the I just feel Christian, we sure would rather not deal with sin quite so dramatically, right? I have no doubt that the I just feel Christian might say something like, you know, couldn't we have just talked it through? Or wasn't there something else that they could have done? Or there had to be another way than destroying all of the people as God commanded for the Israelites to do. There had to be another way. And whenever I hear that argument, I do think about this is, I think, sometimes where we don't understand the cost and the destruction, really, of our sin. Because if there had been a different way to deal with our sin, we sinned and there needed to be a way for us to be reconciled back to God. If there had been any other way of doing it, I really do think that God would have done it, right? If there was a a way that would have made it so he didn't have to send his only son, his only perfect sinless son to die, I think he would have chosen to do that. But he couldn't. It was the only way. It had to be a perfect sinless sacrifice, which could only be Jesus, God's son, that could pay the price for our sins. So Our sin has to be dealt with actually pretty dramatically, but we don't really love that. We don't love that. Or maybe one of the most common in the I just feel category is the love is love argument. We'll probably spend some time on that. Maybe the progressive Christian episode, that that phrase just kills me, gals, because I don't even know what it means. Every time I see it and every time I try to talk through it, I'm like, it's circular. It's just nonsense. And we probably will need to spend some more time on that. We've talked about that a little bit before. But, you know, this is the whole idea that it, if you love someone, then that's enough. I just feel as long as two people love each other, it doesn't matter if it's two men or two women, as long as they love each other, love is love. And, and we shouldn't be able to define that and all that kind of stuff. Well, I would agree with them on that part that we shouldn't be able to define that, even though that is exactly what they're doing when they put that is word there. But God does get to define what love is. And love doesn't allow for this. And I mean, if we think about this one, gals, it's just such a slippery slope. And I know our culture is way down (laughs) the slide on this. 
But we really should recognize the danger that we've already allowed to seep in by being so accepting of something that is so unbiblical. God's word clearly defines what marriage should look like. It defines that homosexuality is a sin. It is in the Bible. It is not a cultural term. I'm not going to go into that, but that is absolutely something that can be readily sought and seen in scripture. It's not ambiguous. Even Romans 1, if you continue in that passage, it talks about that right there. So it is in scripture. It is an argument that's out there of like, no, 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 no. How we define homosexuality is different today than what they did. No, no, no. It's not. It is a sin. The thing that we get all caught up in sometimes is it is not the only sexual sin. We think that, and sometimes Christians can sound like it's the only sexual sin, and that is not true. When the Bible talks about sexual sin, it talks about fornication, and that is any sexual activity that is outside of marriage. Anything. There's a lot there. That means an affair. That means somebody that is living with their boyfriend before they're married. All of those things, those are things that are part of sexual sin. Homosexuality is one of those. But I just feel, Christian, they want to like just really embrace this whole idea that love is love. And why I see this as such a slippery slope is because if we as humans get to just define what we think that that should look like, And if love is love, then it absolutely is the gateway to pedophilia. And we're already seeing that. And it should shock us and sadly just follow the argument through. Because if love is love, then it can be anything. It can be anything. And that's why it's so important to go back to, no, this is why we need God to define it. We need a standard that actually defines it. We don't want to. I mean, it's it's dangerous even to allow culture to just define what these things should look like. And I think that's why we see a whole lot more in the news and in culture about there's just a lot more being made about a consent than right or wrong. And this is something that gals, we need to be cognizant of. We need to be not be caught unawares. We need to guard it with our kiddos and how we're teaching our kids, but also just in our own minds, guarding against the acceptance of things that are against what God's word says. So maybe just a side note, I was thinking as I was prepping on this, is like, how does this happen? How does the, I just feel stuff start to creep in? It kind of creates this dissonance of what we want and feel with what the Bible says. And, And we recognize that that's there. But how does this happen? How does the kind of Christ follower we become, how do we get informed? And I think that's what it comes down to. And I think how we get informed, we can think of it like by what do we feed it? Why do people from different cultures like different kinds of food? You don't typically go into an Asian restaurant or something and get a big bowl of mac and cheese, right? You don't see chicken pot pie on the menu at a Mexican restaurant, right? There's even foods that culturally they become accustomed to. And so then that's what they're known for. That's what they eat. This is what we do. And we're very thankful for all of those different types of foods. At least I am. But we become accustomed to what we're exposed to. And it's like when I've visited other countries and you have something that was just very common to them, but to us, it'll be weird. Even things that are seemingly in the wrong place. When I was in high school, I went to uh, Spain on a spring break trip and they served French fries with like everything. French fries feel very American and French fries seemed like that seems very common. But then French fries, if it's like with, I don't know, spaghetti, that's weird. 
or French fries. And but they do that. They would just have French fries with with just all kinds of random food. <laughs> and that seems really weird. But in that culture, they're accustomed to that. Those two things just they go together very naturally. It was not a big deal at all. And we're the same way with things that we hear, messages that we see, and we're so inundated with it. We just marinate in all of this stuff all the time that we become really accustomed to it. And this is why where you get your knowledge and understanding of who God is is so, so, so important. Because if you get someone else's take on it without going to the source, you will sound more like their take than you will the source. Whereas if you go to the source for us as Christians, the Bible, and what he says about himself and what he says about creation and sin and all of these things, you're going to sound more like the source. Have you ever had a friend that they just have so much wisdom and they speak and kind of weave in things about scripture without even really trying? (laughs) I had a friend that I used to pray with at a mom's group before school, and she just constantly would be inserting scripture in her prayer or a scripture and she'd be writing a thank you note and she would write a write a scripture. And sometimes she wouldn't even have like the reference to it, but she would have all of the words because apparently she was just in the word so much and she had memorized so much that it was just so readily available. It was just always at the tip of her mind that she just spoke the word. And I just remember thinking all those years ago, okay, I want to be like you when I grow up. But how we get there is we spend time with that source. You know, you have to daily be in the source, in the things that you want to be familiar with, the things that you want to have your exposure from. And that requires really spending time with the word. If you are reading all the books or listening to all the podcasts or hearing all the things, saying all the language that's become trendy, man, I have so many of these words. You'll be leaning in and partnering with heaven and recognizing the sacred and showcasing your vulnerability and all these things. I mean, they're words that I know I sound harsh when I come out these words, but I really don't like them. And it's not because there isn't usually some truth behind them. Like the lean in one, I can, I think um, we can think about this on, if you're thinking about scripture, there's a biblical root to that, right? We want to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. So I get the concept that's there, but you guys know what I mean. Have you listened to the podcast or certain speakers or read a book where they use certain phrases over and over and over until eventually it loses some meaning and they can string together a whole paragraph of these phrases about the sacred and divine and leaning in and partnering and vulnerability and until they really actually haven't even said anything. You know, it's just a whole lot of words that make it sound and dare I say feel like, oh, you really get this. You're really spiritual. You're really. And I kind of just think we need to think kind of critically about those and strip some of the trendy phrases back and go, but yeah, but what are we really saying? Because it's easy for our I just feel Christian to really grasp on to these phrases and words that can feel very relatable, can feel like it just gives words to their thoughts or whatever, but they're kind of empty, which creates then kind of a shallow Christian. Whereas the converse of that, if you're in the word and you're becoming more and more familiar with the word and you're spending your time there, you gain more confidence in things that are foundational and true and sound. I mean, that it's like hanging on to the meat. And that's where we want to be. 
So we need to be careful and kind of watch out for the empty language and phrases of the I just feel Christian, because you can kind of mask that it sounds like you have a whole lot of understanding of something, and then you're thinking, I don't even know what was said there, but there was no depth there. And also, I want to say, make sure you're getting the whole counsel of God's word. There's churches where they will say that the Bible is their source. They'll say that the Bible is very authoritative, and they will read from actual Bibles, maybe even sometimes, and have the appearance of being very biblical in what they're saying. But it's even in that, gals, I, we need to be discerning because they can do things where they're going to not take the full counsel of God's word. They'll do like what we did with Ephesians 2 in the last episode where maybe they really love that second half of Ephesians 2 where it says the good stuff, you know, the but God stuff, but God who is rich in his mercy. But they kind of want to leave out the first part of chapter 2 that talks about the children of wrath. And I've seen this. I've heard teachings where it's a really great teaching. They'll talk about a really great passage, but they will take it out of a context that then deprives you really of seeing all of what God's word is saying. They want to reflect on the more positive stuff, but let's leave out anything that has anything about our sin or our need for repentance or that hell is a real place. Let's kind of leave those out and let's just focus on on the other things. We got to be careful with that because that, again, creates that shallow Christian, the I just feel Christian that doesn't understand the full depth of God's word. Elizabeth Elliot said, it is Christ who is to be exalted, not our feelings. We will know him by obedience, not by emotions. Our love will be shown by obedience, not by how good we feel about God at a given moment. And then she quotes, and love means following the commands of God. Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter. Feed my lambs. He was not asking, how do you feel about me? For love is not a feeling. He was asking for action. I love Elizabeth Elliot for her ability to really be able to call a spade a spade and just really drill down on something that scripture, I think, is very clear about. And I think just to kind of clear the mud a little bit with the I just feel Christian, I think we can drill it down with what she is saying here in that it really is not about how you feel about God, not about how you feel about something, but it really is about obedience. Will you obey or will you not? I want to conclude this episode by giving you guys some scriptures just about this, because if we're to see, recognize, yes, this is what the I Just Feel Christian looks like. Let's mark some of those things. If, if we've seen them in our own lives, let's kind of mark it if we hear it from other people so that we can go, oh, wait a minute, I need to take that captive and recognize that that is something that is a feeling that is not a truth from God's word. But I also want to give us kind of a response to what we should look like, again, as biblical Christians who want to be imitators of Christ. And what does that really look like? And at the end of the day, rather than a feeling Christian, it needs to be an obedient Christian. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 23, Jesus answers, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Are you seeing just in this, just in John, in these couple passages in John 14 and 15, talking about the commands of the Lord and what that then signifies, should we choose to be obedient to them? And it says, if you love me, you will do what I command and our home will be with him. And we will be friends of Jesus, even if you do what I command. 
very clear. We want to be obedient. When do we obey? I love how Psalm 119 verse 60 says, it says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Man, that's a tricky one. Sometimes we can know the things that we're supposed to do, but we kind of don't want to. I recently read a Elizabeth Elliot quote, and I'm going to misquote it because it's not in front of me, but it was basically saying when we as Christians say that I'm really struggling with that is kind of code for us saying, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to obey that. And I think that's very true. We can want to not do what 119 is saying and not want to hasten to it, but it's telling us to hurry. It's like, be quick about it. When you see the thing that you are in God's word that you need to be obedient to, man, don't mull it over. Be quick to obey what his commandments are. James 1.22 says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. I mean, that, that's a key right there. That's another one we got to check ourselves on, on the type of Christian we are. Are we someone that just hears what the word says or do we actually do it? Luke 11.28 says this, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and then keep it. Jeremiah 7.23, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. So many things on being obedient to what the Lord is saying to us, obeying his commands. And you got to know what his word says in order to be able to obey it, right? I also love these on how to obey. Psalm 112 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. And then also, again, in chapter 119 of Psalm verse 31 says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Those two things on almost like an attitude in the way in which we obey to not do so grudgingly, not doing so like, I guess if that's what I have to do, if that's what your word says. No, it actually says that we should delight in it. We should take joy in the fact that we get to obey what he has given to us. And then in verse 31, when it says, I cling to your testimonies, I always love that picture because that word cling is like white fisted, your knuckles just absolutely white, holding onto something so tightly that you just got to like pull your little fingers off to get off there. And that's what we need to think about with his commandments. Man, we should be clinging to them so, so tightly that we don't want anyone to take his truth, his commandments away from us. That's how much they mean to us. We want to cling to them. We want to delight in them. We want to be quick to obey them. There's so many passages to remind us to be encouraged in the blessing of being obedient to what the Lord has said. And here's the thing, even if it wasn't a blessing, which it is to be obedient, because in God's perfect word, that's how he orchestrated it to be, that we will be blessed if we will obey. But there is also that surrender to being obedient to the word of God that even if maybe you don't understand why you need to obey in this certain way or in this circumstance or why the Lord has said this in his word, we need to be obedient even still. Doesn't matter if we feel like it or not, we need to be obedient. It's always funny to me how the timing of these things kind of come together. And I had planned on recording this episode, not knowing where I would be sitting in my regular, just quiet time on my own. I'm in Deuteronomy right now. And I love this passage in Deuteronomy. And it made me think about this whole idea of being able to obey what the Lord has given us. I want to just read this passage. It's in Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 11. And just for a little context here, this is like towards the end of Moses's life here, and he's basically giving final charge to the people and to Joshua before they enter the land. 
And so he's laid out, he's reminded them all again of all the law, like a reiteration of all of the law that was given to them in Exodus. They do that again in Deuteronomy. But this is what he says in verse 11. He says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may, be, may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I will command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you surely shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set up before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him for he is your life and length of days. I know that's long and I hope you hung with me on that. Maybe go back and read Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 20 on your own circle some things in there because there's some really, really cool things in there. Because as we think about the things that while the world is saying, I just feel fill in the blank, it's usually because there's something that God's word is saying that they just don't want to do. They don't feel like it should be that way. So they want to be disobedient to it. And maybe their reasoning for that is maybe that seems way too hard to obey. That seems way, way beyond me. But I love this morning as I read this, this reminder that the commands that the Lord has for us, it says it right there. It's not too hard and it's not too far off. Meaning you can do this. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not hard. Not too hard, not too far off. It says even later in the passage in Deuteronomy that they are near, that his words are, they're in our mouth, they're in our minds, that we can speak them. But I will give you one thing with the I just feel Christian. It is a lot easier to say, I just feel, fill in the blank, than actually be bold enough to say to somebody that maybe is presenting you with something you, maybe you don't even know what the answer is. Maybe instead of responding with, I just feel, you say, I don't know. I don't know what God says about that. And I'm going to go find out. I think sometimes that we think that we have to always have the answer. We have to be confident in these things. And while I think that that is an absolutely a great goal to be able, as scripture says, to have an answer when we're asked, to be able to contend for the faith, as Jude tells us. But that might not be where you're at right now. Maybe you're even a brand new Christian. And so maybe some of these things that we talk about and being obedient to God's word, maybe that sounds so hard for you right now because you don't know what his word says yet. And the thing is, is I hope that if that's you, that you would just be encouraged to take all the time you need to get plugged in to a good Bible teaching church, get into God's word. I tell you guys this all the time, but it's so important to 
be plugged into a church where you're going all the way through scripture. And wherever you're at, if you don't have a church like that, Athey Creek is a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter church that we don't miss a word. It's so great because we can't just take on in little scriptures that we might like better than others. We have to take in the full counsel of God's word. And it keeps us in line. It's these amazing guardrails so that we can have real clear lines and we can be obedient to that. But even if you're someone that's been a Christian for a really long time, guard yourself against falling into the trap of, of saying that I just feel such and such without knowing what the word of God says about it. It's better to take a step back, not engage in that conversation, and go search the scriptures and find out what God thinks about fill in the blank than to insert our own mind or worse, our culture's mind onto what God says. And the last thing I'll just say, because in Deuteronomy, it makes it really clear that we do have a choice in this. If you read back in the previous couple chapters of Deuteronomy, it talks about the blessings and the curses, and it goes back and forth. And there's, it's just really clear. There's good, there's evil. <laughs> there's do this, don't do that, you know. But the thing is, is there are choices to be made. And we are not victims of circumstance that we do not have a choice in whether or not we can obey or not. We do have that choice. And what Deuteronomy reminds us is choose life. Choose life. Choose to obey. I hope that's where all of you gals find yourselves in a place where you just want to seek him more, seek his word more, and be obedient to what he asks of you, regardless of how it feels. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.